0: And we're going to be starting a series in 1 Peter with the title of Hope That Sustains. If you're new to church, if this is your first time with us, you might be wondering why a group of people this size would spend any significant amount of time studying an old book that is about 2,000 years old why we would take the care to read from this book and to understand it in its own right and to understand what it's saying to us very simply we believe that this is the word of god and that when we gather together as god's people as the church you don't need to hear us give you good advice on how to make your life better um you don't need to hear us give you good advice Can result in good change in your life. So that's why we do this. That's why we give the time and the care to hear from the Bible. So this morning we're going to turn to 1 Peter, and uh, you can use a pew Bible in front of you. I actually don't know the page number. I usually go and check what it is. Uh, But it's close to the end of the Bible. You can use the table of contents to navigate your way there. I do encourage you to have a Bible open before you or to turn on a Bible. 1 Peter is actually not a book in itself, it's a letter. It's a letter that was written by one of Jesus' own disciples, who was a very important leader in the early church. And he was writing to a group of churches, little communities gathered around Jesus. Students of Jesus who lived in the present-day region of Turkey. And these Christians were facing opposition in their cities and in their life because of their faith in Christ. And our hope in this series is God.
1: And he teaches the he to the Yeah. I'm going to go to the hospital. I'm going to to the hospital. I'm going to go to the to I'm going to go to the hospital. I'm going to go to the hospital. So <laughs> much Thank you. I is, no so, so, is that I'm so, so, much more than a mere of the it's, 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 it's a shift, shift of allegiance from the things that the world worships, no power, or personal status, wealth, whatever the that people worship in our culture. It's all that allegiance kind of is lives in this world would become answers. It becomes answers. And it brings with a clash between the values of God's kingdom, of whom we are citizens, and the values of the kingdom of the
0: world. Any group of people that wants to follow Jesus without compromise needs to Understand their identity as one now of exile. That's what Peter is talking about here. The identity of the church as a community in exile, a distinctive people, a holy people. And this was a real experience for the early church. The people he was writing to, even though they hadn't moved anywhere, when they became Christians, it meant for them that Jesus was Lord and not Caesar. And there were things that they used to do that they could no longer take part in because of their faith. So you could imagine in, in the marketplace of the cities as people would congregate to go to the temples to worship the gods or to go to Caesar's temple and honor Caesar, these Christians wouldn't anymore. And when you stop doing something that you used to do, that everyone expects you to do, it arouses suspicion, doesn't it? People view you differently. They're going, why aren't you taking part in this? And so this church was being pushed out socially, uh, even economically, uh, and even to the point where persecution would break out. People, uh, you know, imagine living in a place where, like, your uncle was taken. And you're going around doing life in fear. It's a reality for many Christians today. When you choose to abstain from the things that you used to take part in wholeheartedly, people notice. Did you know what was one of the charges that was often brought against the early Christians? The charge of atheism. Isn't that funny? So because of their allegiance to Jesus, and they wouldn't take part in in the worship of Caesar or of the Greek and Roman gods, the actual charge that was brought against Christians was atheism. They don't believe in God. And so the Christians would say, yeah, we don't believe in God. And if that's what makes us atheists in your then we are, because we believe that Jesus is Lord. Peter is saying to this church, embrace that identity as in this world. And I think we need to hear this today. Especially in a society that was once Christian in name and where Christianity enjoyed a place of prominence. Because today, some are under the impression that in our current situation, what the church needs to do is like dig in its heels. As society drags us from the center out to the margins of society, we're, in a, we're not going to go easy think of the good old days, and we want to go back there. But we need to get a reality check. We're already there. And we've been there on the margins for a few decades now. Our mission is not to try to claw our way back into influence on the world's terms. Our mission is not to be at the center of social, political, or cultural life. And when the church makes that its goal, it becomes boisterous. And it becomes full of fear and full of hate and very divisive in society. And it even becomes paralyzed by nostalgia. It starts to live for the past, an idealized past, let's be honest, instead of living for the future. Our mission is to be faithful to King Jesus who was very upfront about the kind of rejection his disciples would experience. In John 15, before he goes to the cross, he tells his disciples quite plainly, in John 15, verse 18, he says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to them. values of the of God are rejected in favour of the values of the world. And I think if we want to live courageously for Christ, we need to expect that uncompromised witness to him is going to bring hostility. you because of your allegiance to Jesus is the same
1: In in this
0: if being a Christian means being in exile, you have God to blame. <laughs> it was God's choice. <laughs> and sprinkled with his blood. And with
1: his blood. Our lives to by our to Jesus. So the, that we in the New all of it, not treated,
0: the parts that we like. To. And then it means being sprinkled with his blood. What on earth does that mean? As modern hearers, the thought of being sprinkled with blood is like, okay, our first thought is who's gonna cover my dry cleaning bill?
1: And then the, to the story wasn't one of the of The second book. Mr. Falken has a quote on the headwatership. He wrote a book called Manifest for Meaning. Meaning, where he speaks of his experience in the concentration camps in Nazi Germany
0: during World War II. Falco was in his late 20s when he was taken into the camps, and against all the odds, he, he survived. And of his entire family only, he and his sister survived. His wife, his parents, and everyone else he knew were murdered. Her was a doctor. whose interest lay in psychology. And one of the ways that he like, kind of coped with his time in the c- camps was to be really academic and study people. He wanted to study people and how they responded to the trauma and the brutality that they were experiencing. And in a situation where human beings were stripped of everything they had, they were stripped of their work, home, family, belongings, their dignity, and their life for most of them, he was curious about what it was that enabled people to survive such an experience with any kind of psychological health. And what he discovered is really important to us groundbreaking in the the, the field of psychology, but really important for us to hear as well. And what he discovered is that hope, hope is what kept people's minds and spirits from breaking. Those without hope withered away. They either gave up on life or they were reduced to animal survival instincts. Some people coped by fantasizing about the past, and such people, he says, preferred to just close their eyes and live in the past. And he says that life for such people became meaningless. He said the prisoner who had lost faith in the future, his own future was doomed. With this loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual hold. He let himself decline and became subject to mental...
1: That any attempt to restore a man's inner strength in the camp has first to in showing him some future goal And for these exiles, that Peter writes for people who are on the outside because of this faith, who know suffering and loss, Peter is also wanting to communicate
0: hope to them. In verse Peter launches into this long run-on sentence through verse 12,
1: and he just unloads the gospel. Like fire had open, opened the ego I want to highlight
0: two things about this hope. First of all, it is a hope that is anchored in the resurrection of Jesus. The first thing that Peter says about this hope in verse 3 is is that it comes through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. For Peter and the apostles, the resurrection changed everything. They had been this small group of disciples following Jesus, discovering...
1: That's the first thing we saw on the Verena I'm not going to be able to do you know, it. I'm not going to be able to do it. it. I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm not going to be able to do to be able to do it. I'm not going it. i not going to be able to do We'll i the we'll we'll i the weight of So Or away. Or so is that we species, and you the the of the of of And if a huge, of huge charge It's a of the, best, the, US. If the Church that says that this is not Death, like this is so you to be united in, so in resurrection. it's... it's It doesn't change, change what you believe, it doesn't change what you believe, it doesn't change It's not it's I'm going to be a the world. to It's a joy to It's the It's Next. Now, in the last to 40 It needs to be by that And, uh, and us in this the and again,
0: In all of this, in all of what you just shared, you greatly rejoice. So now, for a little while, you may have had suffer grief in all kinds of trials. The reality of suffering simply is in a chaotic and broken world. That was abundantly clear as we walked through the early chapters of Genesis. But notice here how Peter isn't speaking about suffering in general, but suffering for the sake of Christ. Not suffering because you're a human, but suffering because you're a Christian. And Peter borrows that image from metallurgy, talking about gold that is purified by fire. At times, he says, following Jesus in the world is going to feel like you're walking through fire. It's going to hurt you're, you're going to be betrayed. You're going to experience grief. But when suffering comes, one of our tendencies is to think that God is somehow absent from that situation or that even the, the suffering is coming because he's like angry at us, you know, some sick form of divine punishment on us. But what Peter's saying is that God is not the cause of all your suffering. He's saying, that the presence of suffering in our lives is not to be interpreted as a sign of God's absence or displeasure on you. What he's saying is that God is at work redeeming our suffering, using it to refine our faith like gold that is refined by fire. Do not interpret your suffering as God's displeasure. It's hard enough as it is. You don't need that added guilt. But learn to see and learn to ask God, what are you doing in me through this? What are you showing me that I'm holding on to, that I'm finding hope in, that is not part of your plan for me? What is he wanting to refine in you? And he says that this process, and this is linked to that word of sanctification, making holy. This process will result, in verse 7, he says, in glory for God and in glory for us. Lastly, this hope fills us with joy. Notice how this little section about suffering begins and ends with joy. You're filled with joy, an inexpressible and glorious joy. And Peter is describing a joy that is rooted in who God is and what he's done for us and the certain future he has prepared for us. And this joy along with the living hope cannot be taken from us because it's anchored in Christ. Our identity as God's holy people, as chosen exiles who are citizens of God's kingdom, is an identity of living hope It's an identity of redeemed suffering and joyful witness to our King. As you've been listening, I want to ask you, what has God been saying to you? I think one of the questions that God addresses to us through this passage is for us to ask, what is my hope? What is my hope? Everything you have, can be taken away. This happens to Christians today. We know people in our midst who have lost their home, who have lost loved ones because of their faith in Christ. This happened to Christians in Peter's day. Are you putting your hope in anything that can be taken away from you? If so, it's not a living hope, it's not a certain hope. Your home, your spouse, your kids, your job, your money, your comfort, your status, your social media accounts, your persona. If it's all taken away, what do you have? Do you have the living hope of the empty tomb? Do you have the living hope of Jesus in you? That's the hope that gives life its true meaning. Even our suffering and loss receives its meaning there. And even though everything might be taken away from us, we know that resurrection is our inheritance. That the kingdom of God will win out despite the trials we face. In the magisterial words of the hymn, this is my father's world, though the wrong is oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. People of God, as sure as Christ was raised from the dead, we have A living hope in a new life now. Would this good news do its work in us? Would we hear it? Would we respond to this good news as we now close out our service in worship? And as we do so, we're actually going to collect the offering for Refugee Sunday. So I want to invite the worship team up and I want the...